0: So before we hear our reading today, um, could you give us some context maybe of where we're at in the story of ACTS in our sermon series about ACTS?
1: Yeah, thank you, Angelica. Uh, so good to be with you. I'm Gareth off of the news uh, and uh, he who makes dated mid noughties comedy references. Um, but it's really good to be with you because we are now kind of past halfway, the halfway point of our series on the book of Acts, where we're looking how the church goes from this small group of Galilean Jesus followers to a truly global movement. And it does so by going beyond uh, boundaries. It goes beyond physical borders, but also kind of ethnic boundaries. And so where we've got to so far in the story, we're approaching Acts chapter 10, and in a moment Iona's gonna bring us our reading. Um, but really, where we've got to is this is a story that starts in Acts chapter 1, with Jesus commissioning his disciples by telling them that they will be his witnesses in jerusalem in judea in samaria and to the ends of the earth. that's acts chapter 1 verse 8 and over the course of this book that process happens but it maybe doesn't happen as the disciples as the apostles as the first followers of jesus expected right so in one sense the church begins almost in a kind of local yet global sense so connor i don't know if you could get like the second slide up so i don't know if you remember when we looked at acts chapter two uh, and the story of pentecost we read how there were people from all over the known world right so the church is birthed in a truly global yet local mo- moment where there's people from all over who hear uh, the disciples speaking different tongues in different languages but what is worth noting there is although these are people from all over the known world they were all jews or jewish converts and so after this amazing explosion that happens at pentecost two processes take place that the disciples that the first jesus followers who were all jewish weren't quite expecting the first is this is that the disciples face rejection from the Jewish religious authorities. Although many people in Jerusalem come to know know Jesus, the Lord adds to their number daily, There's there's miracles, there's signs, there's wonders, there's all kinds of things going on. Despite that, the religious authorities reject them, the early church gets persecuted, they get scattered from the city where it all started. But alongside that rejection, at the same time, they actually start getting a really positive reception amongst a completely different group of people, amongst people that weren't necessarily part of what they expected in the first place. So in Acts chapter 8, Philip finds himself in Samaria. Samaria, uh, Samaritans were a kind of, a kind of subset or a, or a distinct group who followed a slightly different form of Judaism, so we start there. And then last week we heard about uh, someone from Ethiopia coming to know Jesus, but probably again someone who'd converted to Judaism. And so what what we've got right now, the tension that is at the heart uh, of Acts chapter 10 is this rejection from some of the people that the early Jesus followers expected to follow Jesus, and a positive response from all kinds of people who they were not expecting to ever be receptive or responsive to the gospel. And so what we come to in Acts 10 is we find one of the early church's leaders in that phase of existential crisis, wondering what on earth is the spirit doing because it doesn't look like what they had bargained for or planned for. And in the midst of this, in a moment that one biblical scholar calls divine choreography, God starts to bring about what he has in store for the early church. And so a man called Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion, uh, who isn't a Jew, um, but is a follower of kind of Jewish ethics, who worships God, but hasn't necessarily made that commitment yet. Well, he gets a visit from an angel saying, you need to go and find a man called Peter and bring him to your house. And it's as that is happening, as that uh, angel has spoken and as as Cornelius has sent his people to go and get Peter, well, it's at this point where Peter has a vision that we're about to hear about now that Ione is going to come and bring us a reading from Acts chapter 10.
2: This reading is from Acts chapter 10, starting at verse nine. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the Centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thank you, Ayanna. Um, it's a little bit of a
0: strange passage if you haven't heard it before, maybe Gareth, you know, mm. vision, food being lowered, and Peter's, Peter himself is quite puzzled by this. Um, so before we dig into the passage, could you give, maybe give us a little summary of what this passage is all about?
1: Yes, yeah, so uh, in a sense that this, this is a, a story in which um, God basically speaks to um, Peter in two particular ways, right? So Peter, at this point, is in a uh, Peter, at this point, is in a place called Joppa, uh, which is now what we know as Jaffa. So it's sort of near modern Tel Aviv. Uh, and he, and if you read Acts chapter nine, you read about some of the miraculous goings on that Peter gets up to there. Um, and he is there and he goes up and he has this vision. He goes to pray and unexpectedly he has this vision. And basically there's two ways uh, that God speaks to him. First, he gets a picture of these um, of different kinds of animals that God then, that Jesus instructs him to kill and eat, which would have gone against everything that he would have uh, thought was kind of legit as a, as a Jewish follower of Jesus because it went against all the kind of laws of Leviticus 11. Uh, and, whilst, uh, and whilst he has this vision, God declares that this food is, is clean and not to call anything that he's called clean, unclean. And at the same time, then, um, as some of Cornelius's men are coming, Peter then gets the spirit speaking to him more directly, saying, okay, there's, a couple, there's three people coming to see you, uh, to invite you back to Cornelius's house. You need to go with them. So in one sense, what's happening is you've got got one particular person praying who God speaks to in two very specific but complementary ways. But the bigger picture of what's going on here is that this is God laying the foundations for Christianity, for the church to be a truly global movement. This is the moment where God is truly laying the foundations for Christianity to be a truly global movement. Because really, the question that Peter and the other apostles were wrestling with was this. OK, so we're being rejected by the people we thought were going to be on board. But if we're getting this amazing reception amongst people we didn't expect to be part of this movement, well, what does this mean for who gets to be part of the church? What does this mean for who gets a seat at the table? And what God is saying to Peter and to the apostles as they're wrestling with this question is, Peter, you need to build a bigger table. You need to build a bigger table, because actually you have no idea who and how many people we're going to invite to to take a seat. Now, as I say this, there's something I want to say quite clearly at this point, which I think is important for us to hear. When I read this passage, I need to remember that I am Cornelius in this story, not Peter. When I read this story, I am Cornelius, not Peter. What do I mean by that? I think we can read this, and our immediate thought is to go, great, this is such a great reminder that we as a church need to open the table, and we need to invite whoever, whoever who would to come. And I think that's true, and I think that's great. But first and foremost, if you're here and you're sitting here, and you are not Jewish, then you need to remember that actually, this is the moment that God, by his grace, made a seat for you at the table. And I think it, we can too quickly come to this story and put ourselves in the place of power as the ones who are going to be the gatekeepers for who gets to come in or just hear this as a message going, I need to be more gracious, when first and foremost this is actually the story about how God was gracious enough to invite you into his family and to invite you and to give you a seat at the table.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, and, um it kind of resonates really well with what Marcia was saying as well, that, you know, the whole issues that we're having as a church sometimes and, you know, coming from that perspective that we feel like we can decide who gets a seat at the table without actually remembering that, you know, in all the discussions that we're having, uh, even around uh, race and, uh, and all that, it's actually Jesus inviting all of us to belong and we are in that, that place of receiving um, first as well.
1: Yeah, just just on that. I think in that sense, it's it's then important to say that actually, perhaps the first place to start when it comes to facing up to prejudice, when it comes to dealing with our own inability to show grace, is to actually wrestle first and foremost with the grace that we've received. You know, Jesus says to his followers when they go out to do mission, freely you've received, now freely you give. And actually, if we start from that place of realising that just by God's grace, just because of what Jesus has done for us, not because of anything inherent in us. Actually, that's the best possible starting point for facing up to prejudice.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, as we were talking during this week, you said the first, time that, uh, the first thing that struck you as you're reading this passage in preparation was that Peter's really hungry. Um, do you want to say a little bit more about that? I can relate because I haven't had dinner yet. I don't know if... Um, some of you in the same place
1: absolutely well uh, let's just set the scene again right so this happens verse 9 it's noon Peter goes up onto the roof to pray and verse 10 it says he became hungry and wanted something to eat and while the meal was being prepared he fell into a trance he became hungry he wanted something to eat and it's in that moment that he has this vision And I was really struck as I was reading and preparing for tonight by Peter's Peter's hunger, that this all begins, that this vision happens when he was hungry. And I think hunger in our Christian faith is quite significant in two ways. Number one, I think when we're in a place of hunger, or you could broaden this out, when we're in a place where we're tired or we feel weak or vulnerable, actually that's often when we are best placed to hear from God. So actually Peter receives this vision in a place of hunger Um, and actually hunger and prayer go really well together that's why Jesus teaches his disciples to fast right because there's something about putting yourself in a place of hunger which really goes well with that really goes well uh, with prayer and um, there's a a commentator on on Acts called Willie Jennings, who sort of says, actually, prayer and hunger are like the perfect companions, and actually they're the twin pillars upon which God brings about the change that he does in this chapter. But there's also, I think, a sense in which hunger's like a really good place to start when it comes to doing mission and sharing about Jesus. So Luke, um, and Acts is written by the same author as Luke, Uh, Luke in chapters 9 and 10 talked about how Jesus sent out his disciples, uh, firstly the 12 in Luke chapter 9, and secondly he sends out 70 or 72 in Luke chapter 10. And what I find intriguing is he sends them out with very few possessions, uh, not taking any kind of extra food for the journey, and he tells them to go and receive hospitality and to eat what they're given. And so i think this partly goes back to the whole point about actually if we're going to be gracious people then firstly we need to be uh, ready to receive grace if we're going to be hospitable then firstly we need to do that out of a place of receiving hospitality there was a um a sri lankan uh, methodist minister called uh who's um td oh i'm forgetting his name but he uh he said this and Connor, if you could put the next slide up called DT Niles and he famously said that evangelism telling people about Jesus is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread now maybe you'd rephrase uh, some of that now but the point is this is what we're doing as followers of Jesus sharing the gospel with other people is we're saying this is how i a broken person was made whole not because of anything but because of a gift that i have graciously received we're not people who are coming with all the answers or coming because we've got everything sorted and we want people to look like us really we we're, we're, we're hungry people telling other hungry people where we find where we found bread and so if you want to hear from god or if you want to share with other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to recommend hunger or being hungry as a good place to start.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that sometimes that place of hunger and weakness can feel quite vulnerable. But I think in the same at the same time, it's also quite liberating to feel like we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be overflowing at all times um, to be able to participate in God's story really Um, and I think you know I often fall into this trap that I think you know I have to have it all together I have to um, have all the answers at all times when I speak to people Um, but yeah it's actually quite liberating to know that um, this is where where Peter comes from where we can come from as well Mm. Um, so if this vision is all about animals and what's clean not clean what we can eat but it's really about including Gentile people why is um, why is this about food? Why doesn't God just say it a lot more directly to Peter?
1: Yeah, so one of the questions that people kind of often come to this text with is that they go, if this is the moment where Jesus is laying the foundations for the church to become global, if this is the moment where Jesus is saying to uh, Peter, it's time to let the Gentiles in and be part of that family, then why doesn't he just come out and say that? right? Why doesn't God say in kind of clearer terms, okay, Peter, you've been wrestling with this question about who gets to be part of my family. Everybody does, okay? No? Okay, now we're clear. Why, rather than just saying it in those kind of straightforward words, does Peter receive this incredibly specific vision Right, because what's happening here is, if you were to look in Leviticus 11, you would find a whole range of very specific dietary laws about what faithful Jewish uh, people were allowed to eat, things which were considered clean or unclean. Right, and so what, what Peter sees uh, in these verses, in verses sort of 11 through 13, is he sees like every kind of animal like clean and unclean, and he's told, right, Peter, I want you to eat what I've put in front of you. And of course, he's like, no, I could never do that. Um, And it's at that point that the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And I think that there might be three overlapping reasons why God decides to give this incredibly specific vision in order to make a much bigger point for Peter and the first is this is I think that oftentimes actually when God is trying to speak to us about something broad he starts with the specific and actually what what God is doing here what Jesus is doing here um, is he's almost like starting like a logical domino effect in Peter's mind so this is almost what he's saying he's going okay Peter you have always thought that you could only eat this or that and I'm actually saying that these foods are okay right i'm expanding your horizon in terms of what is possible here i'm saying these foods are okay and once peter starts to think about the possibility that these foods are clean then that then creates in his mind the possibility that the people who eat these foods might actually be clean right Just to see how that works see, firstly you start with a okay so if it's possible that these foods are actually not completely off bounds, then maybe the people who eat these foods are not off bounds, and maybe they could be part of this family. And then it's one other step from that, and this is the third step to go, well, if the people who eat these foods might possibly be considered clean, then maybe I can eat with these people who eat these foods. So it's like these foods I'm declaring clean, I'm declaring the people who eat these foods potentially clean and I'm saying to you that you can actually sit and eat with these people uh, who eat these foods and not only that is once um, as the story goes further once the early church does decide that they're going to invite Gentile people to come and follow Jesus and be part of the church the very first conflict that they have is around well, actually, how much do these new Gentile followers of Jesus have to follow Jewish dietary laws, etc.? And so, by starting with this very specific uh, vision, actually, God is not only laying the foundations for Gentiles being included, but He's actually laying the foundations for Gentiles being included in a slightly different kind of way than maybe people like Peter might have expected. So, at the risk of sort of saying Jesus is being really clever here, Jesus is being really clever here. Like this is an amazing way of starting somewhere specific and actually letting the logical dominoes flow that not only sets the scene for Christianity becoming a global movement, but actually sets the scene for how that's going to take place.
0: That's really fascinating. And uh, yeah, it just made me think of how amazing it is actually that that God speaks to us through ways that are so concrete and down to earth. Mm. And we are sitting at the communion table, in case you hadn't noticed. Um, <laughs> but it's it's always amazing to me how something so concrete as this particular bread is how Jesus encounters us and how he draws us to himself. And I think just that grace that in these really particular moments, mm. um, God encounters us and tells us things. Um, but do you think all these points that you were making were clear to Peter? Did he did he see that process happening?
1: Um, so no, I don't think so. Um, and I don't want to just carry the kind of stereotypical trope of saying or oh, wasn't Peter silly. But I think it's quite clear in this moment that Peter doesn't immediately go, oh, Okay, I can see what you're doing. and That means that that means that Obviously. It takes a while for the, for the early church to figure out what the Spirit is saying, what God is doing, right? This is what we read in verse 17, or in um, verse 16, we're told uh, this happens three times. And so then we're told, Peter then was wondering about the meaning of this vision. And then in verse 19 we read, whilst Peter was still thinking about this vision, the spirit spoke to him. So clearly, like Peter has to take a little bit of time to process this. And he's, this is really the start of a journey uh, that Peter goes on. But why notice about um, how God speaks to Peter here is it's not just that he uses this very specific vision in order to speak something not just broader, but actually truly like global and world changing. It's actually um, God is incredibly gracious in how clear he makes this message to Peter, right? So this is a visual message, right? So God gives him like a massive visual aid. He has a vision. He speaks to him uh, twice. So it's visual, but it's also vocal. And not only that, we read in verse 16 that this happens three times. So, I mean, it's one thing to like receive a picture, but to receive a picture, to receive a vision, to hear a voice, But to have this three times, I think God is being very gracious in making it clear that he's speaking to Peter. And it's worth noting that if you were to go back and you look over some of Jesus' teachings, some of Jesus' teachings that Peter would have been present for, well, there's a moment in Mark 7, for example, where Jesus says, You know what it's not really about what you eat or don't eat that's important the really truly important thing is that which emerges from your heart it's the state of your heart that god really cares about and then mark adds this little note saying with this jesus declared all foods clean and some scholars have kind of gone oh well if peter had already heard this if peter had heard this teaching of jesus why does he need this vision well, I think because when, uh, when it comes to changing something that we've always thought was completely fundamental, or when it comes to God taking us in a completely scary new direction, well, then he's gracious enough to repeat himself. And so you may be here, and you may be uh, wrestling with the possibility that God is calling you into some kind of new and scary adventure, and you feel like maybe God is speaking to you, Well, the beautiful, gracious thing about God is that he is good enough and he's kind enough to repeat himself. And so if you're still wondering and wrestling whether God wants you to go where you think he might be calling you to go or do what he might be calling you to do or saying what you think he might be saying, well, I promise you that God is gracious enough to repeat himself. If it's a big deal, he's going to say it more than once. Likewise, some of you might be sitting here and you're going, hmm, I wonder if God, I think God maybe has been repeating himself to me. And if that's you, if you feel like God has been pretty consistently saying something to you, then maybe that's a sign that what he's saying to you is, is actually pretty significant.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I love that, that God repeats himself. And and even after Peter's heard it from Jesus, and then three times in his vision, he's, you know, he's sitting there thinking, hmm, I wonder what this could mean. You know, (laughs) I think it gives me some courage that, uh, you know, there's grace for when we we don't get it right away. Um, But then Peter does act on it. Um, So what is, where does this reading leave us? Where does it leave Peter? And um, where does it end up for us?
1: Well, in a sense, this is only kind of part one. Uh, And next week, Angelica, looking forward to you unpacking the second half of this story when uh, Peter actually meets Cornelius, right? Um, But before I get to where Peter is, I want to zoom out to where I, I think this moment has left us. And, Connor, I've got a couple of slides. Uh, I don't know how how well you can see this uh, if you're in the building. It might be easier to see at home. But this is a graph uh, which was done in 2012, which basically is doing a breakdown of uh, how different world religions and belief systems are spread geographically. And what this graph shows is that Christianity is unlike almost any other belief system more evenly spread across different continents in the world. And so what I find fascinating about this is that although although Christianity was birthed in a very specific time and place, actually, as a movement, it spreads across borders and barriers to such an extent that Christianity is not and has never been the the um, the belief system the faith of one particular tribe or nation it's never been the faith of one particular people group actually there are followers of jesus all over the world and actually it's spread fairly evenly across asia and africa and europe and north and south america and oceania and that i don't think is just some sociological quirk i think that's because being a christian has never had anything to do with race or ethnicity but actually it's always it speaks into matters of racial justice but ultimately christianity has always been about uh, and has always been a grace-based system that anybody from whichever nation or people group can be part of it is a truly global family and so that picture I mean you you sometimes think don't you uh, when you hear like a word uh, somebody shares a word or a picture in church I don't know, I sometimes go oh, it would be really interesting to see like what the long-term impact of that word is I don't think I'm being over dramatic when I say that the long-term impact of this vision that Peter has is that graph is that information is a church that has spread globally and if you to look at the second, the second one, what's remarkable if you look at where this red is where Christianity is the major, is the kind of majority faith system. And again, this is spread all across continents. In fact, the only sort of surreal thing is that the one of the few places where it isn't one of the major faith systems is actually where it started. But it's a truly global movement. But here's what you might notice. There's a big gap between those two graphs and where Peter finds himself at the end of this story. Because having had this vision, Peter basically makes very gentle baby steps, right? So this is what happens. So he's processing what this all means. And he's wondering, and then the spirit speaks to him. And what's happening is uh, the men that Cornelius has sent have found the house he's staying at, and the spirit says, okay, three guys are going to turn up and I want you to go with them and go to Cornelius's house. And so having heard the Spirit speak directly to him to say go without hesitation, in verse 21 Peter goes down uh, and he says, I'm the one you're looking for, why have you come? The men uh, offer him this invitation to go uh, and speak to Cornelius and having had this vision, even at that moment Peter doesn't go oh okay now I get it now I get it this is already the first example that God is giving me of including gentiles no no he doesn't do that the first step that Peter is able to make is to say okay well you better come in then well you better come in then well, the first step that Peter's actually able to make is to invite these three men into the house it's not even his house The first step of hospitality, of table building, that Peter's able to accomplish is to invite three people with a message into a house that isn't even his. Now, there's quite a big gap between Peter's exact posture at this point and the graphs that tell of the truly global movement that Christianity became. But this is still where it starts. And so here's where I wanna land. And this, I think, is true in terms of the big picture as we as a church wrestle with the big topics like racial justice. But I think it's also true for you personally as you discern what God might be saying to you or where God might be calling you next or what adventure he has in store for you. Actually, what God might have in store for you could look as amazing or could lead to somewhere far beyond what you could ask or imagine or expect. The spirit could be doing something truly truly significant in and through you and that might be super scary but even if the first thing you do is to take a really small step even if the first thing you do is to take one gentle step in the right direction then actually god by his grace and the spirit by his guidance may still take you to that place and so rather than simply stopping because you're so scared of how far God might be calling you just take that step because for Peter even inviting these three Gentiles into a house that wasn't even his own was actually the first step that led to him recognizing as he then goes on to preach that God shows no favoritism to him then helping to spearhead this movement that one day would go far beyond his place. And at that point, the gospel truly would be spread, not only in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but even to the ends of the earth.
0: That's really exciting and such a hopeful picture for us as we um, want to follow Jesus and as we get encouraged and challenged by that as well.